Welcome to the Apologist Bookshelf again. This is Gary Zacharias. Um, I thought I'd share with you this time a book by John Lennox. He's one of my favorite authors. That's L-E-N-N-O-X, John Lennox. Uh, the one I'd like to talk about a little bit today is called God's Undertaker, with a subtitle, Has Science Buried God? And um, Lennox is an amazing guy. I mean, I just think about some of the other books I hope to get to that he's written that I have. Uh, most recent for me was one called 2084, and it's uh, talking about artificial intelligence, where that and technology, where they are going. So that one's a good one. I'll get to that sometime. And then he had one called Seven Days That Divide the World. That's a really good one dealing with uh, Genesis and how things all got started and age of the earth, age of the universe, and so on. Uh, Linux himself is quite a guy. I tell you, he's He's so enjoyable to listen to and to watch him debate. He never gets angry. He just seems like a happy guy. He's a professor of mathematics emeritus at the University of Oxford. He actually uh, sat with uh, C.S. Lewis and, and uh, heard him. He's a fellow in mathematics and the philosophy of science. He's a pastoral advisor at Green Templeton College, Oxford. Written several books on science and the big questions and the intellectual defense of Christianity. He's lectured all over the place. Then he's uh, had some interesting debates with Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, and Peter Singer. So look him up sometime on YouTube. You'll find a lot of good things that he's done there. So I wanted to do the first chapter. This is called God's Undertaker. And I wanted to do the first chapter. It's called War of the Worldviews. And the subtitle, as you get to that chapter, says, The Last Nail in God's Coffin. And he starts off saying it's a you know, popular belief that every time we come up with a new scientific advance, that that's one more nail in God's coffin. And he quotes from Oxford chemistry professor Peter Atkins, who says, Humanity should accept that science has eliminated the justification for believing in cosmic purpose. And uh, Richard Dawkins says, Actually, the faith in God is an evil. we got to get rid of it. He says, faith is one of the world's great evils, comparable to the smallpox virus, but harder to eradicate. And uh, Dawkins quotes Robert Persig, who says, when one person suffers from a delusion, it's called insanity. When many people suffer from a delusion, it's called religion. Ouch. Wow, that's pretty tough, huh? Well, what Linux does is he goes after Dawkins for the way Dawkins interprets, interprets uh, faith when he talks about Christianity in particular. But he, he believes all religious faith is blind faith. It's just kind of a leap in the dark. And, of course, that's not, according to Linux, and that's the same with me, what I believe, that that's not what Christianity believes. Faith and evidence are inseparable. They go together. I mean, think about the gospel writer John who said these things are written that you might believe. So he thinks there's evidence for the faith. Apostle Paul says that nature itself gives evidence for God. And he says in Romans, for uh, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities have been clearly seen. So he says, that, well, come on, uh, Dawkins. He says, no serious biblical scholar or thinker would support his definition of faith. He quotes from Francis Collins, who is the head of the uh, Human Genome Project. And he said, Dawkins' definition doesn't describe the faith of most serious believers in history, nor of most of those in my personal acquaintance. So uh, Dawkins really has not done a good job 
engaging with really any serious Christian thinkers. It's pretty obvious. He's been on the outside, and he just lumps Christianity in with all these other faiths. So uh, Linux says, Let, let's take a look and see what's going on out in the world of science as far as the scientific community and, and what they believe about the existence or the lack of existence of God. So he says there was a survey done in 1916, so over 100 years ago. 100 scientists, just chosen at random, were asked whether they both believed in a God who answered prayer and in personal immortality. So that's pretty specific. And the response rate was 42% said yes, they do believe in a God who answered prayer and in personal immortality. 42% said yes. And about the same number, 41.5% said no. So it was basically a split there. The other percent were agnostic. So they did that same survey again in 1996. So what, 25 years ago or so. And the response was 40% said yes, they believe in that kind of God. 45% said no. So it has dropped, but it's so small. Isn't that interesting? A hundred years, uh, almost 80 years went by. And the, the statistics are pretty close to the same. But he said, you know, there are some eminent scientists who do believe in God. He mentions Francis Collin, the one who headed up the Human Genome Project, Professor Bill Phillips, who won the Nobel Prize for Physics in 1997, Sir Brian Heap, who is the former vice president of the Royal Society, that's the British uh, scientific organization, and some others. And so he says, you know what we need to think about here? I think this is such a good statement. I've heard Frank Turek say the same thing. It's put in italics so that you really see it. Statements by scientists are not necessarily statements of science. That's worth repeating, I think. Statements by scientists are not necessarily statements of science. Or you might hear it this way. People say, well, science says, and Turek says, no, science says nothing. It's scientists. And often they're coming at things with a bias, a philosophical uh, attitude that trumps the, the uh, evidence that they find. And so he says, what we should do is take a look at the history of science and see how we got where we are today. And he says at the heart of all science is the idea that the universe is orderly. Well, where did that come from? He says the ancient Hebrews. Because they said, and of course that's the Judeo-Christian worldview, that the universe is governed by one God, not the product of a, a bunch of gods having whims and each one chaotic and governing his own province according to his own laws. And over and over again, People who study the history of science say this monotheistic view provides a historical foundation for modern science. Isn't that amazing? And uh, this is uh, one, one person who says that is Sir Alfred North Whitehead. And he says modern science must come from the medieval insistence on the rationality of God. C.S. Lewis picked up on that as well. He said men became scientific because they expected law and nature and they expected law in nature because they believed in a lawgiver. So, in other words, if there's a rational God, he probably did things in a rational manner, and that would give you optimism that you could go out into the world and do some exploring and believe that you weren't going to find uh, craziness and irrationality. You'd find rational things out there. He uh, mentions Galileo had a deep inner conviction that the Creator had given 
us senses and reason and intellect. Johannes Kepler said he was thinking God's thoughts after him. He says, now, um, Christianity has then contributed to the rise of science. The doctrine of a unique creator God who is responsible for the existence and order of the universe has played a huge role. And I, I did a talk on that, and I did a lot of reading, and I, I found the same thing. Over and over again, people who studied the history of science say it was the Judeo-Christian worldview that gave rise to modern science. Well, he talks about Galileo because he says he knows that always comes up. There's that controversy. Oh, Galileo, the church went after him uh, because he was scientific and the church was anti-science. And so uh, they tortured him and threw him in jail and things like that. But he said Galileo believed in God. He was a firm believer. And he believed in the Bible his whole life. And actually, he says, he had a great deal of support from religious intellectuals, at least at the start of this. And, and the ones who opposed him were actually secular philosophers. Why? Because a lot of people hitched their wagon to Aristotle. And Galileo's scientific arguments, remember at this time, he had no proof. There, were, there was no proof. He was just making arguments. And Galileo's scientific arguments were threatening Aristotelianism that the academy bought into. He thought you should decide theories of the universe based on evidence, not all these postulates, a priori postulates and the authority of Aristotle. That was a reigning worldview. Galileo was taking on a worldview. And uh, the church at the time, the Catholic church, felt very threatened from the Protestants. And they had embraced Aristotle uh, to some extent. Well, it was also a lot of jealousy, and Galileo lacked a lot of tact. Uh, he kicked people in the shins, speaking metaphorically, called the Pope a dunce, uh, or a fool in one of his books. So he, was, he said it was wrong, of course, to try to muzzle Galileo, but he was never tortured, and his house arrest was in luxurious private residence that, residences that his friends had. So as he winds up the chapter here, Lennox talks about what the real conflict is. He says it's not a conflict between science and religion. That's not the two sides that are clashing. Oh, you're religious. Okay, you're opposed to science. No, the real conflict, he says, is between two diametrically opposed worldviews, naturalism and theism. And I've done talks on worldviews, and so I understand what he's talking about here. Naturalism, the fact that there, the belief that there's nothing beyond what you can smell, touch, taste, the five senses, um, that's it. That's all there is. There's nothing outside that. And so based on that, that's opposed, of course, by supernaturalism that says there's something else on the other side to this. I mean, you think about uh, what... Carl Sagan said as he began the Cosmos TV series, the Cosmos is all there is or was or ever shall be. Boy, that's naturalism right there. It's a closed system, cause and effect. Nothing can come in from outside. <clears throat> of course, opposed to that is the theistic view. You know, Genesis starts off in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. <clears throat> the universe is not a closed system. It's a creation. And it's maintained and upheld by God. So, he ends the chapter by a simple question. Which worldview, naturalism versus theism, which worldview does science support? And then he's off and running with his other chapters. 
And so his chapters cover things like design in the universe, uh, evolution, the origin of life, genetic code, uh, where information came from, David Hume. So this is a terrific book. It's something that I hope you take a look at sometime. One, one more time, John Lennox, God's Undertaker. This is a 2007 book. He does have more recent books, but this one is a, is a wonderful thing. And again, if you have some time, just take a look online. Go uh, to YouTube and see him do some of his debates. What a mind. A terrific guy. I'm so glad he's on our side. Well, thanks. Uh, I'm glad you tuned in here, and uh, we'll pull another book down later. Thanks for listening.